Welcome to The Thing About Austin, a podcast about Jane Austen's world. I'm Zan. And I'm Diane. And this episode, we're talking about Petty France. We are starting with Northanger Abbey today as Catherine and the Tilneys pack up their things in Bath and set out on their journey to the Abbey. General Tilney and Henry are riding in a curricle, while a maid, Eleanor, and Catherine all ride in the larger and slower chaise. Halfway to Northanger Abbey, they make a stop at a coaching inn. So this is from the book. The tediousness of a two-hours bait at Petty France, in which there was nothing to be done but to eat without being hungry and loiter about without anything to see next followed, and her admiration of the style in which they traveled of the fashionable chaise and four, postillions handsomely liveried, rising so regularly in their stirrups, and numerous outriders properly mounted, sunk a little under this consequent inconvenience. Had their party been perfectly agreeable, the delay would have been nothing. But General Tilney, though so charming a man, seemed always a check upon his children's spirits, and scarcely anything was said but by himself. The observation of which with his discontent at whatever the inn afforded, and his angry impatience at the waiters, made Catherine grow every moment more in awe of him, and appeared to lengthen the two hours into four. At last, however, the order of release was given. This has turned into a very long stop for Catherine. (laughs) Just a long time having to sit there and have General Tilney talk at you. No, thank you. Right. So Petty France was a hamlet and coaching inn about 15 miles north of Bath. And we say was, but Petty France is very much still a place. More on that in a bit. Also, we should point out that Austin spells Petty France with a hyphen between the two words, but the name today does not include a hyphen. But before we get into the specifics of this particular location, we do first want to talk a little bit about what a coaching house is. So a coaching inn, which is also called a staging inn or a coaching house, these things were a vital part of the transportation infrastructure in Europe for hundreds of years. They are basically the equivalent of a gas station or a charging station today. But since travel was a bit more complex in the Georgian era, these coaching houses served a lot of different functions. So in this example from Northanger Abbey, this coaching house is functioning a bit like a layover. So the horses obviously would need to rest after these long stretches. So that's what Austin is referring to when she says that they needed to bait the horses. It's referring to feeding and watering the livestock. And while they're letting their horses rest for a few hours, they have to just entertain themselves. So in other instances, coaching inns could provide a few rooms for travelers to stay overnight, or travelers could swap out horses and take only the time that was needed for these horses, the new horses to be harnessed before they were off again. So these coaching inns really have decent stables, plenty of food and drink, and a few available rooms to rent. Very complex, but important parts of the the industry of travel. Yeah, it's like a hotel slash restaurant slash gas station Mm -hmm. for travelers of this time. And because these inns were essential for any kind of travel, they were generally available in any given town or establishment along your main roads. And they were somewhat strategically spaced out So a traveler would rarely have to go more than somewhere in the range of 7 to 10 miles before coming across another one. According to Deirdre Le Fay in her book, Jane Austen, The World of Her Novels, 
This was during a time when journeys were completed at an average speed of seven miles an hour, either on horseback or in a carriage drawn by one or more horses. So you weren't exactly covering ground swiftly, which means you really wanted these amenities to be conveniently spaced out. Yeah. And because they're so important and essential to this kind of infrastructure, there were actually a lot of printed guides that came out during this time that had materials that really describe which coaching inns are available along which routes. So in one of these printed guides, titled Mog's Pocket Itinerary of the Direct and Crossroads of England and Wales with Part of the Roads of Scotland. Again, we always love these titles. This one was published in 1828, but they specifically describe the Petit France Coaching Inn as a, a house that you would stop in if you're traveling from Bath to Nottingham or from Bath to Gloucester or from Bristol to Oxford. So the it's specifically mentioned on those very direct routes. I love that they had the equivalent of Lonely Planet or yes. whatever back in the day. <laughs> Plan your trips, you know? Who needs Google Maps? Come on. <laughs> You've got Mog's pocket itinerary. Right. Petty France is a small hamlet in South Gloucestershire. Its name, at least according to one theory, is derived from Huguenots who emigrated there during the time of Henry VIII. There is another theory that the town's name derives from it being in such a remote location. So. It's anybody's guess, mm -hmm, really. Mm -hmm. There's also a street name in London that is also called Petty France. So if you look it up, you may see you know, both of these locations popping right. up. The Petty France Coaching Inn still exists as the updated Bodkin Hotel. The building was built in 1671 as a coaching inn that served the Bath-Gloucester route, but the house was extended and upgraded further in the Georgian period. According to the hotel's website, this is the coaching inn that quote, provided sustenance to many famous guests, including Jane Austen, who remembered her visits in her novel, Northanger Abbey. So making the connection there. Absolutely. So let's break down this traveling scene in Northanger Abbey a little bit more. This is really actually a kind of an uncomfortable stop for Catherine for several reasons, not least of which is her desire to just get to the Abbey as soon as possible. <laughs> she's, she's been fantasizing about this and she just really wants to get there. But according to Dean Cantrell in his article, Yes, There is a Petty France, he states that the reason for what must be an uncommon delay becomes clearer upon some calculation. And so here, here we go into some of the deep data breakdown, which I confess is one of my favorite kinds of nerdery. Zan loves a map. She loves to triangulate. I do. I, I'm not even sorry. It's just I love this. She loves coordinates. <laughs> So we do know that the entire trip from Bath to Northanger Abbey takes about six and a half hours. So they set out shortly after 10 a.m. and they arrive at the Abbey, according to the general, within 20 minutes of five. So, you know, I can't tell you how much I love Austin's attention to detail and mapping in this novel. It's just, it's every little nerdy thing my heart desires. What was so fun about it is that you could, if you wanted to, basically recreate this whole day. It's so true. Taking out the two-hour stop at Petit France, the time on the road was only about four and a half hours. That means, according to Cantrell, the general's chaise makes a disappointing 6.6 .6 miles per hour. And so what that means is that it would have arrived at Petit France a little past 12.15 p.m. So the Tilney carriage was on the road for about two hours and 15 minutes in the first leg of the journey. And then they have to stay at Petit France for an additional two before continuing on. Yeah, so it's two hours on the road, two hours stopping. And so it's kind of, it's kind of annoying to Catherine, right? And Austin also notes that at this posting house, there is 
nothing to be done but to eat without being hungry and loiter without anything to cease. Cantrell points out that Catherine's lack of appetite is perhaps explained by the same kind of timeline that we just described. So she likely ate a late breakfast right before they left Bath. And so she's probably not particularly hungry when they first arrive at Petty France. She's only been on the road for two hours. There is also just nothing to do in this small hamlet except for watch all the action in the inn yard. And this is when we get Catherine reflecting on this luxurious mode of travel and starting to think that perhaps not even the postilions and outriders can compensate for having to pass two hours in the general's (laughs) company. And a little definition work. Postilions are individuals who ride the left side leading horse of a team. They are leading the horses and driving the carriage. Postilions are there in lieu of a coachman who would ride on the actual coach, something that a sleek chaise is not designed for. And outriders are individuals who ride in front of or beside the carriage as a kind of escort or guard against highwaymen. So they've got this like whole entourage with them. And Catherine is stuck at this inn, realizing that she could have been making her way to the Abbey much faster if they didn't have this entire like crew of horses and and outriders that that they need to be watering. Well, and Catherine's like, we don't need protection against highwaymen. I mean, (laughs) bring it on. Bring it on. (laughs) I'm hoping that that's going to happen. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. I just love her so much. I know. I know. She's so delightful. And can we just actually take a moment to point out that Catherine is mildly ogling the postillions (laughs) while she's waiting? She's like, the postillions, handsomely liveried, rising so regularly in their stirrups. Like, she's just, she's just admiring those postillions. I would say that Catherine, she has a fine, uh, she has a keen eye for detail. That is Catherine. (laughs) Okay. You know, and a very active imagination. So, you know, flights of fancy abound. This whole pomp and circumstance is also very revealing about General Tilney's character. He is determined to show off as much as possible to Catherine because he believes she's the heiress to the Allen's fortune. So, you know, he's being a little ostentatious here. And also just, I think it also just signifies his level of wealth. You know, this is, this is the way that a man of his station would probably travel. But extra bonus for making sure that Catherine really sees like, hey, right. you see all this? He's definitely showing off a little bit. And then, of course, just like droning on while they're at Petty France. So, you know, he's the reason everything is so awkward and uncomfortable during their stop. Yeah. Well, and, and he's also being a grump, right? Cantrell provides this really fabulous breakdown of potential reasons why he's grumpy because he's, he's yelling at the waiters. He's just nothing's good enough. So Cantrell actually tells us that there's possibly some, some reasons why he's a little bit grumpy. And they're actually based on some of the finer details about traveling and the travel times that we discussed earlier and the equipment that's needed for this trip. So Austin likely takes for granted the fact that her contemporaneous readers will understand that the chaise and four that the general is using is not only a symbol of his wealth and prestige, but that it is a lightweight carriage that should have been able to travel relatively quickly. Cantrell clocks the pace of the carriage as approximately 6.6 miles per hour, while a post-chaise could actually travel at speeds closer to 7 or even up to 10 miles an hour. So... He's not getting the gas mileage that he hoped for, and he is really grumpy about it. Exactly. Cantrell continues, and this is kind of a longer quote from Cantrell, but it's so full of detail, I want to make sure that we get to enjoy it. Cantrell says, The general wished to leave Bath at precisely 10 o'clock, for he knows he has to get his horses on the road early so as to make good speed and to necessitate only a light bait, or, you know, to stop and feed the horses, at Petty France. The general, familiar with the road, would have known the precise second 
of the expected arrival and to have taken two hours and 15 minutes for a journey which should have taken well under two is mortification enough for his incivility. His discontent with whatever food and amenities the petty France offered and his angry impatience with the waiters point to his disappointment, then over his carriage's disappointingly slow performance and his failed intent to impress Catherine. I love that this, that by knowing these details of like, okay, how long should it have taken? What's going on here? That she's able to be like, he was trying so hard to be like, we're going to get, we're going to be so punctual. We're going to get there so fast. Show her how quick my horses are. And it just didn't, it just didn't work out. I mean, in some ways, perhaps not necessarily in how they outwardly express themselves, but showing some similarities in temperament with John Thorpe. Oh, definitely. (laughs) Expectations of horses and how fast they apparently are supposed to travel. (laughs) I give the general more credit for like actually understanding all of that, but. But yeah, there's, there's definitely, I mean, it's impossible to miss all of the like timed horse racing and like my carriage should be able to do this many miles per hour. This just a lot of guys with some fragile masculinity in this book. It's so, so true. The short interlude at Petty France ends with Catherine joining Henry in his curricle at the general's behesto. General finally comes through for us. Mm-hmm, Thank you. Mm-hmm. Okay. And Catherine determines that she is kind of underwhelmed by General Tilney's mode of travel. She much prefers the curricle as a less cumbersome vehicle, you know. <laughs> and, and of course, this has nothing to do with the fact that she's riding with Henry. Of course just not. Admiring. Like his great coat. She's just like so impressed by it all. She's impressed with his great coat. She even is like talking about how like, oh, he handles the rain so smoothly. Henry Tilney driving is very hot and she's <laughs> into it. I love this scene. It's so good. It's so good. We do kind of end with references to how long it would have taken to bait horses if she had just been in the curricle with him. And so we get, we get this passage in the book. A very short trial convinced her that a curricle was the prettiest equipage in the world. The chaise and four wheeled off with some grandeur, to be sure, but it was heavy and troublesome business. And she could not easily forget its having stopped two hours at Petty France. Half of the time would have been enough for the curricle, and so nimbly were the light horses disposed to move, that had not the general chosen to have his own carriage lead the way, they could have passed it with ease in half a minute. So she's just like, Henry drives his curricle so well, this is obviously the way to travel. Just the, everything about the scene where she's just like admiring the way that his hat sits <laughs> and thinking about the innumerable capes of his great coat. It's just... It's very attractive. <laughs> she is beside herself and we are right there with this her. This is all of her fantasies coming true. It's so good. I'm just, I'm so happy for Catherine right now. <laughs> this is everything I ever wanted for her. Austin is doing so much in the scene, mm-hmm. right? She's giving us more insight into General Tilney's character. She's giving us more insight into the relationship that he has with his children. Yeah. Because Catherine, during the scene, is noticing, like, they are... They kind of shut down, yeah. Yeah, they're not very comfortable in his presence. It's obviously giving her a great moment <laughs> with Henry. And it is actually very revealing about the kinds of travel and the modes of travel that are available to her, as well as, you know, like, what are your preferences? What do your vehicles and what does the stop that you choose? What do these things say about you? So there is actually a whole lot of character work going on at this very, well, it's brief in the book, but, you know, for her, it feels like four hours for Catherine to be at this at this posting house. And like Cantrell says, for readers in Austin's time, they would have picked up on the general just sort of having like a little minor meltdown over everything not going according to plan and understanding the timing of it all. And I think for us, you know, if we're able to kind of pick that scene apart, it makes so much more sense. 
it really does kind of set the stage for what's going to happen once they get to the Abbey, you know, in terms of the, the general's character, the way that people interact with each other in, in that setting. So going back to Petty France as a specific location, Hazel Jones points out in her book, Jane Austen's Journeys, and this is something other scholars have also made note of, that Jane Austen was familiar with this route due to her travels to and from Bath. So she would have been aware of it as a rest stop location and as a likely spot for General Tilney to break their journey. We do get references to other kind of coaching inns throughout her works. I mean, inns come up fairly regularly. They're a central part of the way that any kind of travel works, as we mentioned. One fun mention, though, is in Emma, when Mrs. Elton is telling everyone that her sister Selina, quote, always travels with her own sheets when conducting journeys that require staying in coaching inns because, again, quote, Selina says it is quite a horror to her. Gotta pack your own linens if you're gonna stay at a coaching inn, according to Selina, who is the end-all be-all for Mrs. Elton. And especially when you're just trying to make yourself seem like you are as great as Mrs. Churchill. Oh, sure. Yeah. (laughs) She's like, does Mrs. Churchill take her own linens? Because all the cool people are doing that. Exactly. (laughs) As you can probably imagine, coaching inns are essential to many historical romance, historical mystery. Take your pick of historical fiction set in England during this time. There's probably a coaching inn. And if we're talking about romances, this is where you're getting the classic only one bed trope. It comes up <laughs> with alarming frequency, really. It's it's concerning how so many of these inns, they do have vacancy, but only vacancy with one, one bed. bed. <laughs> one bed only. I mean, at the same time, it does kind of make sense. These aren't like traditional hotels, right? They've got like three to five rooms. So I mean, even better when you have to stop when the stop at the inn was unplanned, mm-hmm. but then there's like a huge rainstorm and it isn't safe to travel. So it's like, oh, we have to escape from the rain. And also, yeah, I mean, it's great. I love it. It is a classic, an absolute classic. Well, you can find us on Instagram at the thing about Austin and on Twitter at Austin underscore things. You can also check out our website, the thing about and email us at thethingaboutaustin at gmail.com. And stay tuned for next episode, where we'll be talking about Louisa Musgrove's fall on the cob with Dr. Matthew Resnichik. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.